Welcome to Postscript. My name is Dave Severns, and with me today, as per usual, is lead pastor Paul Eastwood. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. How are you doing, Paul? I am excited. I'm excited to go through the book of Matthew, and this has been a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I'm I'm loving this. So much good stuff. So much good kingdom, kingdom language. Um, yeah. I, I, you don't even know this yet. This is great. I get to tell you something live on air. Uh, I've been so inspired by this. I actually sat down with a friend of mine last week, not with, but on Zoom with a friend of mine and wrote a song about the kingdom, um, something that may enter our congregational worship at some point in the near future. So nice. Um, yeah, so much good stuff. Let's, let's dive in. What, uh, do you want to give us a little recap from Sunday, Paul? What was the passage? What were we talking about? Yeah. So um, I think it's important to kind of put the passage into context. And in order to do that, you sort of look at the big picture. And there's this really cool sort of like um, sort of bookending thing that's happening Mm. right at the end of chapter nine. It it has this verse that says, and Jesus, you know, preached the good news of the kingdom of heaven and he healed disease and sickness or whatever. And then it says the same thing at the end of chapter four. And so there's this bookend that is meant to sort of collect all the information in the middle into some kind of coherent something important and so you got to pay attention to that so there's uh chapters five through seven are the words of the king it's him describing the you know what the kingdom looks like yep and then verses or chapters eight and nine are essentially demonstrating the power of the it's the work of the king Mm. so you got the words of the king in five through seven eight through nine is the is the uh, work of the king and what i talked about on sunday and i think this is important and, and maybe we miss this when we talk about it but As crazy and upside down as the Sermon on the Mount is, Mm -hmm. his activity when he started bringing the kingdom into everyday life was, it was crazy. It was upside down. It would have just had people's jaw dropped because Jesus was moving into places that that were completely unexpected. Mm -hmm. And I think that is, I mean, it's part of what is so compelling about the person of Jesus. And the reason that you should be reading through Matthew right now, if you're not already uh, follow us on that reading plan. Make absolutely. sure you stick with yeah. us because it's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually sitting at my dining room table right now. I could look up. We've got it posted. We printed it out. I think you should probably print it out. We've got it posted yeah. up on the wall. Um, so get on that. Even if you haven't yeah. done it yet, you're nine chapters behind. You can catch up. We would love Easy. to have you here. And it is it is crazy to think about these, these actions of Jesus. Um, I've been uh, lately thinking about, I mean, our Canadian politics and it's, it's kind of like, you know, we're used to our Canadian politicians saying wonderful things and politicians in general. Um, but we're also used to them falling short on the actions. And what Jesus does is he says something like shocking and wild and crazy. And then like ups the ante by following through on the actions and just turning the system on its head. So let's, let's talk a little bit yeah. about these two stories in, uh, in chapter eight. Um, we had, uh, Jesus healing a, a man with leprosy and then Jesus healing a centurion's servant. Um, what right. y- you talked a little bit about how these stories are symbolically important and kind of what they say about the king and the kingdom. Um, yeah. What, so what's the deal with this guy with leprosy? Right. Well, okay. So it is crucial to, to recognize when you look at the story of the, of the man with leprosy, the chapter eight, verse one starts with when he came down from the mountain mm-hmm. and then it continues on. So there's, there's meant to be a really strong connection here. And Matthew wants this to be the first story that you read the first account. And you know, these, these accounts in the gospels are stories of Jesus and they're compiled by authors. They bring all of these stories together and put them in an order. And the order often matters a great deal. Yeah. Um, 
And so this first account, he, he uh, was healing lots of people. So why the man with leprosy? Why, do we, why, why does Matthew bring this huge big spotlight and put it in on this one guy? And, and what I think is really important is that when we look at the book of Matthew, we can, we can read some of these stories of, God's, of the miracles where Jesus heals people. And we can look at the big picture and say, you know what? God's powerful. And mm-hmm. what, we're, what I'm reading here is that he's powerful. And I turn to chapter 9 and I keep going. That's not a bad thing. That's true. Yep. It's, you're taking something out of the passage that is important. But there are layers to this. Yeah. And when we begin to understand the context, um, the layers begin to emerge and something really cool happens. Yeah. And I think just, you know, in a nutshell, this guy is, and I use the analogy of Pigpen from, um, you know, Peanuts, yep. the guy with the little dust cloud going along. And people said, you know, you couldn't get clean in a rainstorm. Um, it, it's actually kind of funny. I was looking him up uh, as I was doing my message. And and yeah, Pigpen never had moments. Like he had these moments where he was clean and then immediately he stepped out and he was back dirty yep. again. And, and and I get that image in my head of Pigpen being all of us, but specifically this man with leprosy. Mm-hmm. And what it is is that he, it wasn't just that he had the skin disease. He was perpetually unclean. Mm-hmm. And the passage makes makes really clear. There's lots of Greek words to describe healing or you know make me better or whatever. But that's not what the le- what the person with leprosy says to Jesus. He says, "I know that you can make me clean." Mm-hmm. And clean is this indication that he's saying, I know that I'm perpetually on the outside. I am socially distanced without any choice and I am pushed to the outskirts. Never, no bubbles, no, like I don't get to be in contact with anybody, much less go into the temple or get anywhere near God. Well, and it's it's like, I mean, so I I started thinking about this in terms of COVID-19 because everything's COVID-19 right now, right? Like imagine you have COVID-19 and you just have it for the rest of your life. And like every breath you take, you run yeah. the risk of spreading it. So, so you're unclean. You can't be around. Like, can you imagine living in our, and our, I mean, our realities are relaxing. We can do more. We have bubbles. Yeah. Can you imagine never having a bubble? Can you imagine never being yeah. able to get close to someone? And that's what we're told about this man. That's what leprosy is. And that's yeah. also the analogy that Jesus is using here for all of us always. Right. It's easy to be like, yeah. oh, that sick person. But actually that's us. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and so what he's describing is essentially that the kingdom is not something that can be contaminated by our sinfulness or our brokenness. Mm-hmm. It's not like I need to clean up so that I can be a better representative of the kingdom. Instead, it's the kingdom itself that actually infects us. Mm-hmm. It's the kingdom that kind of pushes into our lives and makes us clean. And that's that's incredible. That's like so upside down for these people. They would have been saying like, you know, wait a second, like I, I'm... You know, I, I am, um, you know, if I touch this thing, then it's going to make me unclean. And, and it was the complete opposite. That's what's going on here. So I just I just love the the way that's described. But there's something else that's really cool yep. here, too. And and I think that that probably um, even more important is the way that he asks the question. And I'll, I'll say it again, because I think that when I'll OK, I'll speak for myself. Yep. When I read, read over this passage or used to read over this passage, mm-hmm. I would often read it quickly and you assume that what he's saying to Jesus is, um, you know, if you are willing, uh, you know, please make me clean. Yeah. Right. But that's not what he says. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Hmm. So in other words, he's not asking Jesus, can you make me better? Yeah. He says, are you willing? In other words, what he's saying, Dave, is do you care? Yeah. And that's the compassion that's on display of the king right after the Sermon on the Mount. Hmm. It's like. You know, you can say, okay, this guy's a great teacher. He's a smart guy. He's taught all these things. He does, you know, he, he walks around. He, like, leads people. It's all amazing. 
But then the question always comes up, I think at least for for many of us, that guy might be might, might be really impressive, but does he care? That's what really matters. Hmm, yeah. And th- I mean, that gets us into, so obviously Jesus heals this man uh, and it's amazing and it's great. Um, but that gets us into one of the, like the biggest wrestles that people have with this idea of a good God is that, you know, there are instances where absolutely it seems like he cares. We're told these stories, but in a lot of people's personal lives, they don't feel that right. They've, right. they've asked for healing um, and they've experienced something terrible. They, I mean, we, we're mourning today. We're, we've heard a story of, of a, of a young father who's suddenly died of a heart attack and it's awful. And like, how, how can a God who's compassionate allow this to happen? You know, it, it, right. we kind of ask the, do you actually care question? So how do we take this passage and put that in line with what a lot of us experience that doesn't seem to be the yeah. like cheery ending. And that and great question. So here's here's what I would say. When we look at this story, if we say that the best thing that happened in this story is this man was healed, hmm. we're missing the point. Okay. The best thing that happened in this story was that Jesus was willing. And this understanding is is crucial to us because so there is all kinds of consequences of sin in our world, and there is sickness and death and dying and all kinds of things. But this idea of Jesus being willing to enter into the mess. Hmm. That's the most powerful thing that happens in this story. You know, one of my one of my favorite stories is um, is a story in Mark chapter one, uh, which actually it, it 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 actually goes along with the passage that comes right next in the end of chapter eight. Yep. But basically, it's Jesus coming into the the home of one of his followers, mm-hmm. and he heals his mother, and then he kind of goes on and does these things. Well, in Mark's chapter, in Mark chapter one, you get the story that all of the sick and the and the hurting and the demon possessed and all these people were coming to the door where Jesus was staying at this house. Mm-hmm. And he was healing them and healing them and healing them and healing them. Then what the story says is that uh, they went to bed. So he's basically like, okay, guys, we're done. We're out. Yeah. What we can assume as we read this passage, because early in the morning, Jesus gets up and he goes to a solitary place to pray. Mm-hmm. The next morning, people wake up and you know what they say? Where's Jesus? We need him. Like, we need him now because right. I'm sick and this yeah. guy's hurting and that's that's going. And so what we can read from this story is that there were probably all kinds of people around the house waiting for Jesus so that they could be healed. Jesus gets up early in the morning and likely had to step over people who were hurting hmm. in order to get to the place to pray. Okay. When his disciples get there, he says to them, they say, hey, everybody's looking for you. Come on back, Jesus. We're all good. Let's go heal all these people. And Jesus says, we have to go somewhere else Hmm. because I have come for a reason. I've come for a purpose. And his purpose was so in line with what God wanted him to do. That was the goal. And so the, the end result is that people get left unhealed physically in this world. Mm -hmm. But because he did that, he was able to go all the way to the cross and solve the problem of death. Hmm. Right. And so we have this idea of a, of a God who is absolutely willing to get into our mess. That's the first thing that we understand. Number two, we have a God who cares deeply about brokenness in our world. We see that when Jesus wept, when his, when this, when Lazarus, Lazarus had died. Yeah. And so you see this compassion where Jesus enters into these places. But remember, he healed those guys. He healed this this man of leprosy. But guess what? That man still died. Yeah. He died later, right? Yeah. But so so ultimately, getting healed of leprosy was not the best thing that Jesus did for him. Mm-hmm. It was being willing to enter into the mess and actually begin to impart righteousness into our lives. Yeah. 
And I think I think sometimes we read these stories very like myopically, like we think about our own situations and we say, you know, God, I need to get out of this situation or help me get through this or whatever. Um, When the most the most important thing that, you know, when we're praying and we're asking God to like to, you know, to do something and that thing happens, whatever it is. Mm The most important thing that happened in that exchange is not that God answered your prayer and did what you wanted. It's that he listened. Hmm. It's that he was on the other end. You know, he listens to those calls. He listens to those cries. And and to me, I think that's the way that I wrap my head around some of the problems that we face in the world that just don't make sense. And what we can say is that, yeah, I don't get a perfect free ride through life. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. But I do get a future. Yeah. And I do have a God who cares. And and for me, there's, um, oh, that's so, so good. It's such a good reminder, but there's also a tension there. Like I can, I find myself either on one side or the other of that. So often I either find myself yeah. going on the, like, man, why isn't God doing exactly what I want and making my life here and now better, which is not what he came for. But then there's the yeah. flip side, which is the, like, all that matters is the coming future spiritual reality. This life is meaningless and useless and it doesn't matter right. at all, which also Jesus came to like what, what we do matters and what what's happening matters. And God actually often steps into that. Um, yeah. Sometimes, I mean like the story of Job, we don't always get it, but, yeah. but um, our life does matter. But, but really the, the more, the big point here is that he came to, to beat death, right? Like, and we, yeah. we talk about the kingdom as the already and the not yet. That's a, yeah. it's a common phrase among um, uh, church people and, and theologians yeah. and, and kind of this idea that Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom, to tell about it, to say it's coming, but we're kind of, we're standing on the cusp. We're not yet fully in. We can see glimpses of it. It's kind of like shining out on us, but, but we're not there yet, right? Our goal is to give people a taste of the kingdom. Yeah before the kingdom comes yes <laughs> and the kingdom will ultimately come in the future love that uh, but we get these beautiful tastes um in the short term okay and okay so this was the first of the two stories you talked about on sunday what about the second yeah. one paul well the second one is uh you know i guess i'll try to make it even quicker the the second one because i didn't make the first one quicker, oh, that's fine. sorry uh too, <laughs> uh long story short too late <laughs> um yeah no the faith of the centurion is really i think about the expanding kingdom beyond the jewish people hmm. and you know at the beginning you kind of read this this passage about the centurion and he says you know you you know i don't deserve to have you under my roof and you're not really sure if he's talking about his authority or what um but i think we can begin to paint the picture that he's recognizing that you know jesus as a jewish rabbi has no place in his house hmm. and in case that's too subtle it continues on the story and all of a sudden there's this really clear explanation about the this coming banquet, which is about the intimacy of God, the closeness of him. And he's saying that the, the subjects of the kingdom are not, are going to be, find themselves on the outside and people are going to come from the East and the West and all over the place. So the subjects of the kingdom is really in quotation marks because that's the people who think they're already in. Hmm. Uh, They think they're in because they're good people. Um, The rest of the world begins to understand that they're in because God's a good person. And Jesus was the perfect person. Yeah. Um, uh, Or Jesus was, yeah, God's not, person but you know yeah i know what you're saying um yeah i mean so i'm reminded this the the point of this passage reminds me of the the famous passage passage in galatians 328 right there are neither jew nor gentiles neither slave nor free nor is there male or female for you are all one in christ jesus um and this idea that the kingdom is not uh it's not a hierarchy it's not um 
it's not something you earn your position in. It's not a pyramid scheme where someone's at the top, you know, beyond Jesus, uh, who's at the top, he's the king, right? Like the subjects are all on equal, equal ground before him because he, he put them there. So what, what does that mean for our daily lives? I mean, we're, we're hearing a lot right now, uh, in our world about equality, um, about human rights, which is ultimately founded on these principles. Um, but, but of the ways that we're not, we're not good at practicing them, right? Like around the globe yeah. in our countries and our democracies, there, there are ways that this is broken. Um, yeah. So obviously the kingdom is not fully breaking in in these ways. So what does that mean for us as believers? How do we, how do we respond to these cultural moments because of this reality that Jesus presents us? Yeah. Well, you know, I think, I think there's something, there's something to be said for the, the, this reminder in our own, in our own hearts and minds that we are all made in the image of God. And, and what that, that is a great equalizer. There is no, you know, as you, as you've just already shared. And so I think it needs to change the way that we look at people around us. And I think we need to stop kidding ourselves and pretending like we don't have prejudice because we all have some level of prejudice, um, you know, and, and it may not be race related necessarily, but there are certain, you know, there, we could go down the road and I'm not going to do this here, Mm. but you could name a a typical type of person, Mm -hmm. Um, even based on their political bent yep. or based on, you know, ideology or, you know, whatever. And, and we immediately have these negative reactions towards them, yeah. um, feeling like they are, you know, obviously, you know, kind of so far outside of, of, you know, where God is at. And yet, and yet the New Testament, we see right away that Jesus starts reaching out to those people and frustrating the religious folks, yeah. right? So. So it's this reminder of that, and I think I think it goes way back, um, uh, you know, to just a, a brief illustration. It goes way back to the very beginning, because when when Joshua was bringing people into the promised land, God was saying something really clear: you don't mix with other people. Mm-hmm. You need to be your own. You need to be clear. You, like yep. all this stuff yep. about the Jewish people, and so that's the instruction they get. Then they come in, and Joshua too tells a story about somebody. It's Rahab. Hmm. Rahab is someone who's outside of the Israelite camp, yeah. who's immediately brought in. In fact, she's recognized in Hebrews as one of the faithful people of God, yeah. right? And then right after the story of Rahab, you have the story of Achan. And Achan is a Jewish person who hides some idols in the camp. And guess what happens to him? He gets kicked out. He's out, yeah. And so, like, right from the very beginning, <laughs> God's like, this is the way it needs to be. You need to be, a, you know, a, a nation that is completely set apart. Mm-hmm. And then he says, then he takes Rahab, who's outside and a, a prostitute, no less, and brings her in and then sends the others out, right? That's, that whole thing yeah. goes on. So. And this, I mean, I'm just going to say, we, we talked earlier about, you know, some of the symbolic importance. This is why when you read the Bible, it's so important to pay attention. What's going on around you? What's what's saying and then what's happening? What, you know, because it's easy to take parts yeah. of the Bible and be like, what is this doesn't seem to make sense. But like, man, there's so much richness and goodness here. Sorry, I interrupted yeah. you. Um, no, that's, that's exactly what it, oh, I think you're right. And that's the, yeah, that's the, like, now you had mentioned some things on, in the podcast yeah. that I really wanted to get into. I mean, I know we're getting late in, in this whole thing, but just talking about this idea of um, our culture mm-hmm. and, and, you know, kind of, and I think it really relates strongly. So yeah. what were you sharing there that you could kind of. Yeah. So know, I, I talked uh, briefly about Andy Crouch's book, Culture Making, which is a, a fantastic book, a little academic. Uh, and I tried to kind of sum some of it up for us, but he's got, he's got a bunch of questions that we ask about um, culture and culture, not as a broad thing that we all like 
we live in a culture, he would, he would argue against that and say, no, there's moments of culture and there's things of culture. So a book or a movie, um, or, or a large event, I mean, a sporting event, or ultimately the, the biggest definer of culture and the most important definer of culture was Jesus's death and resurrection. That's the biggest Mm -hmm. thing. But the five questions he asks, what does this assume about the way the world is? And Jesus, Mm -hmm. this whole thing, he's always telling us what we assume about the way the world is. What does this assume about the way the world ought to be? Jesus is flipping things upside down, right? What does this make possible? All kinds of things. What does this make impossible or at least more difficult? Well, a bunch of the class systems and those kinds of things. And then what new forms of culture are created in response um, with the church? I mean, we are the new forms of culture created in response. So I I talked a little bit about that. And I I mean, I talked about our, our online services in that context. Um, but the way that that we, when it comes to culture, we often want to critique it or we want to consume it or we want to, you know, do these things. And and actually we're being called to curate good things, things of the kingdom, um, yeah. to, to care for them and then to create, to create things that look like kingdom around us. Um, so I yeah. asked our people and, and I asked myself and our family, um, what are the things that that I could do in this season of pandemic that look like the kingdom? What, what things are made possible in this season and can I grow new cultural moments out of, um, you know, how, what conversations are possible with my neighbors now that, you know, people are asking me all the time, well, what is your church doing? Um, and people who who aren't church people and it's, you know, unique opportunities there to connect with people. And, uh, you know, we love to host people in our home and we can't do that in this season in the same way, but, there are other things. So that's, I was just kind of talking about that, right? This idea, um, you're talking about this. So the centurion and how this is the, the breaking of that line that, that all the religious leaders thought. So my question, yeah. I didn't ask this in the hub. I wanted to, my question would be if you came into church and we were back to singing and everything was back to normal and someone was in front of you with their hands raised, worshiping, who's the most unexpected person that could be in your life? Who's the person who you think there's no way they would ever do that. And, and what's your reaction to that? Is it joy? Is it like encouragement or is it like, Oh, that feels bad. Right. Cause that's the kingdom is calling us towards joy. The kingdom is calling us towards like God is on the move for the most unlikely people. And we are on God's team here. So like, let's go at it. Um, super hard, super convicting, right? There's people I'm like, I don't want them in church. Um, yeah. So I, I think there's something, something there, uh, just to, yeah. Think about who is it, who is it that's most unlikely in your mind? Who's the most, you know, curmudgeonly or difficult yeah. or the people you struggle with the most and what happens if they come running to Jesus. And it doesn't mean their life is fixed instantly, right? <laughs> They're still yeah. annoying. Um, yeah. but man, God is on the move for these people and, and that's what the kingdom is about. So I, I think that is such a good uh, thing. And I, and I would encourage you to just to do that exercise, you know, just kind of think that through and even have a conversation with someone because that's where mm-hmm. um, things change so dramatically for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we could keep yeah. going, but uh, we're, out of time. So we're going to, we're going to call it there, Paul. We will be back next week with more postscript and we uh, hope to talk to you then. Any closing thoughts from you? Yeah, no, I mean, I just, I, I think, you know, one of the things I would just mention really briefly is that this passage ends with this, this reference where Jesus in chapter eight goes back to, um, you know, Isaiah 53. And in that passage, it talks about Jesus being pierced for our transgression, crushed mm. for our iniquities, and peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. All of this stuff and talking about sheep and all this stuff. Yeah. Jesus meant to attach the work that he was doing in the world 
to the power of the Messiah. Yeah. And he was saying, I'm it, folks. And I mean, people knew their scriptures back then. And so when they were hearing him do these things, their jaws were dropping. Mm. And this was like, this was making people mad. It was, you know, yeah. and and that's the beauty of the kingdom that it just breaks through in all kinds of ways yeah. and offers salvation to the world. I love that. Pretty cool. Awesome. Thanks, Paul. Uh, thanks for listening along. We will talk to you next week with Postscript.